Good morning, good morning. Breakfast is sponsored in loving memory of Joel Rishti Alava Shalom Lilui Nishmat Yosef Ben Le'ah. Alava Shalom sponsored by his sister Robin Beda. Rabotai, um, we find ourselves in a parasha where Bil'am is repeatedly attempting to try and curse the Jewish people. Yet none of his machinations seem to pan out. Each time he tries another curse, it doesn't work out. He winds up coming out with, uh, with a blessing. And it's frustrating Balak. So Bil'am says, you know what, take me to another place. Let me look at the Jews from another angle. Maybe there'll be something I could do from another place. Maybe if I see half of the Jews. Maybe if I see a little bit of them. Each time he's trying to come up with another solution. But finally he comes uh, and he says words that all of us are familiar with. And it's shocking to think that these words, which are so much a part of the Jewish people's consciousness and, uh, and uh, blessings, come from so filthy and, uh, and heinous a person. The Pasuk says, And Bil'am raised his eyes, Israel, and he looked at the Jewish people. He saw them, that they were dwelling in their Shivatim. And suddenly he had upon him the Spirit of God. So he uh, began to speak and give his mashal. And the Pasuk continues and says, What does he say to the Jewish people? How great are your tents, O Israel. Your dwelling places, O Israel. This, these words are now, today in our community, we sing them every time you have a hatan and kala under the chupa. We're going to sing them inshallah tonight. How in the world um, is this biracha? How did it infiltrate our prayers and our liturgy when the source of this biracha was a person who all he was trying to do was curse the Jewish people? Number one. Question number two is what exactly is it that uh, Bil'am saw that made him give this biracha? Matobu, how great are your, ohalecha Yaakov, your tents? Mishkinotecha Israel are your dwelling places, O Israel. So Rashi says something fascinating. Rashi quotes Hazal, where Hazal explained, what does Matobu Ohalecha Yaakov mean? How good are your tents, O Israel? Al He noticed that the tents were pitched in a peculiar way. It wasn't like you had a bunch of houses with a front door out, you know, facing the other guy's front door, where you could see one tent into the other. Each tent was rotated a couple of angles or degrees to the one side or to the other to ensure that when you were in your tent, you weren't looking into somebody else's tent. Now, the first understanding of this is that Rashi saw, uh, Bil'am saw, and Rashi's pointing out that he noticed that there was a certain siniut, a modesty, that I don't need to know what's going on or see inappropriately what's going on in someone else's house, how they are, what's going on, how their wife is, etc., etc., etc. But I think that there's something more here that I think all of us could learn from as well. What Bil'am says is so beautiful is, they ensured that the openings of their home were not they weren't uh, matched up one to the other of course when we think about it spatially we imagine the doors facing one the other but maybe a deeper understanding is that each family understood that their family wasn't the same as other families I still remember as a child when my mother would say to me 
I would say my best friend uh, was uh, Dwex down the road, and I'd say, uh, you know, my friend, he goes to sleep at 9.30 or goes to sleep at 10 o'clock, and you know what my mother would always say? That's what their family does. Our family does something different. In this house, we go to sleep early, so you'll be able to be fresh and you'll be able to wake up and have a productive day in school. I don't care what their mother says or what their father says. Rabotai, this is such an important thing. We have an expression in Megillah. It says, That each person should rule over his own home. Now, I don't mean that in a terminology of control or ruling over people with an iron fist. But it is important for families to understand that the dynamics that work in their family don't work for someone else's family. That the educational methodologies that work in one family doesn't work for another family. One time I heard somebody saying, you know what, you're thinking about sending your kid to, to, a, to a Jewish school, it's very expensive. Why don't you just send your kid to a non-Jewish school? The guy says, what do you mean? But I want them to come out strong in their Judaism, this, that. The other guy says, ah, give me a, do me a favor, give me a break. He says, I came out okay, and I went to public school. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what a silly piece of advice. Yes, it's true, he went to public school and he came out good. But is that something that you could extrapolate from one family to the other? The reason why this guy happened to be so strong is because his father is a pillar in the synagogue in Brooklyn. His father never missed a minyan in his life. His father knows how to read the Torah without preparing with his eyes closed. He, every morning, every Shabbat, the guy, he made his son sit next to him from the beginning of the tefillah to the end of the tefillah. Okay, you didn't get the religion in public school. But that was because your father was imbuing it strongly enough in the home. So sometimes you have people that they think they could learn lessons, what's going to work for their family by somebody else. The, the place where I find this the, the worst is when you have husbands and wives who look at their own spouses and begin to compare and they say, look at how they are together. Look at how they speak. Look at how they do. Look at how they spend. Look at what, how they go on vacation. And they try and draw conclusions the way they should be <coughs> from somebody else. Bil'am, every time he's trying to curse, but you know what? This one thing he sees and he has to give it a blessing. What does he see? He sees Ra'ah, She'en Pitahahem, their openings were not Zu Mul Zu, this one opposite the other. The word Petah could mean the opening of the tent, but it could also mean the opening of a person. In the Amidah, we say Petah Libi Betoratecha, open my heart with your Torah, and after your Mitzvot, Tirdof Nafshi. There's a key to every single person's heart. And sometimes you look at this person and they're giving love in this way. And you're wondering, look, I'm doing the same thing. I don't know what you drive me crazy about. I also said I love you, but they need more. Or they need something different. What fascinates me is that the Pasuk says that Bil'am noticed that the doors weren't Keneged Zuk, this one to this one. But that was on an individual level. But I noticed that the Pasuk also pointed out one other thing as well. Aside from saying that the Marcuses weren't like the Amsels, from this family to this family, you know what else he noticed? He also noticed that the people were shochen l'shivatav. So there was a disparity on an individual family level, and what works for one family doesn't work for the other, but there was also a different uh, disparity, and that was that there are swaths of people of a community, and what works for the Hasidim 
doesn't work for the Sifaradim. And these people are into more mystical or Kabbalah, and these people are only halakha straight down the line. These people love to delve deep in the Gemara, and they're happier to learn one page with every single um, one of the Mifarshim, and the other one wants to know the whole Masechet. Rabotai, there isn't one gate to heaven. In fact, the Arizal teaches that there are 12 She'arim, 12 gates that were stood up in the heavens for Am Yisrael to reach God. And each one of the Shivatim takes a different path. One of the things that Bil'am was incapable of doing was understanding that there are different people with different things. Why? Because Bil'am describes himself and he says, Ne'um ha'gever, the speech of a man, Shetum ha'ayin, who has one eye which is shut, which is closed. This person, he was only capable of seeing things in one way. And you know what, unfortunately, a big reason for the machloket amongst Am Yisrael is when people are so sure that they're right. And they have all this data that backs up their opinion. Look, this is how we did it in our community. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to work for another community. And what works over here doesn't work over there. And you know what, you think that they're crazy because they're doing it that way. That's the only way that they know how. Let me give you an example. And I always find this example to be uh, powerful. We look maybe at, the, at the, the Hasidic community and you think, wow, look at them, they're so sheltered. Everybody has to dress the same. They're doing all this kind of thing. You know, they have their own villages with, you know, the policemen and the firemen. Everyone is, you know, in Kiryat Joel or in Square Town, all these. And it's a whole different system to the way we are. And we're sitting there saying to them, you know, you should be more integrated. You should be more part of the world. You know what they are noticing in, this, in the Hasidic communities? The only way they're capable of holding their people together is by creating that isolation is by creating this bubble within which they could carry on the ways of their fathers, etc., etc. But the ones amongst them that sometimes are exposed to the outside world, sometimes it doesn't do them so well for their progression in Judaism. What for us in the Syrian community is an absolute no-brainer that you're going to interact with the world and be in business and do this and over there, for some other people that would be very, very difficult. So here we are on our high horse telling them how to live their lives, when even Bil'am was able to see that what opens up the heart of one is not what opens up the heart of another. We shouldn't be so quick to judge. And I think that is the beauty of Am Yisrael. I recognize that I don't know where your door is. And I recognize that maybe a person, you know, you expect him to do more. I had someone yelling at someone who brought a phone to synagogue on Shabbat. You know, you're doing, how you bringing the phone to the synagogue on Shabbat. I said, do, 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 you, do you know if this person comes to shul on Shabbat usually? They said, no, but how could they come? I said, this is the first time I've ever seen him here in shul on Shabbat. You know why he's here on shul? The guy came to one of our classes outside during the week. He's never come to an orthodox shul in his life. But he was inspired in the class, now he wants to come. So here you are yelling at him that he's being inappropriate. Hazit, the guy has no idea. No one's ever told him that. He probably navigated his way to the synagogue on Shabbat on his phone. <coughs> but, but if you gave him a chance and recognized that his petah, his opening is a little different than yours. He didn't have a community. He didn't have tradition. He didn't have yeshiva. But now he's opening up for the first time. Then, Rabotai, Matobu Ohalecha Yaakov, Mishkinotecha Yisrael. If we could, rep- if we could uh, respect each other's openings and we could respect each other's starting points, Rabotai, 
Then Mishkenotecha Israel. The word Mishkan means a dwelling place, but it also symbolizes the Mishkan, the dwelling place of God. If we ever figured out a way to respect the differences amongst us as people, as tribes, and as individuals, we would be zocher to the end of the pasuk, Mishkinotecha Yisrael, we would once again have the dwelling place of God amongst us in Israel with the coming of Mashiach Merat Amenu. Amen. Rabbi Hamenya ben Akashi Amir. Baruch Hu, Zukot Yisrael. Afikach Yibalem Tinoam Zulot. Shnei Yamar, Nachfetz Amar, Zikoy Yagdil Torah.